0: Friends, it's me, McCall, with another full episode of Unboxing God. This is a show of uninhibited spiritual exploration, all for the sake of discovery and recovery. On today's episode, we're going to unbox some pretty complex ideas. Things like the soul, spirit, psyche, the self, identity, and ego. Ready to go? Each of us is a ridiculously complex system of social, psychological, neural, and molecular mechanisms, as similar as we are different. Personally, I've always been attracted to personality tests, from the multiple-choice ones in the back of my Teen Beat magazines as a kid, to the most recent, the Enneagram. And I can remember at a very young age taking the MMPI test, a hefty, multi-paged personality assessment. And when it was done, I asked if I could take it again. See, I thought maybe the results of two different tests that I answered equally honestly might show a difference. I had this intense black and white side of myself that felt equally me, and yet never in balance or under my control. Actually, for the most part, I imagine I was at their mercy. Anyway, this insatiable craving I had for any sort of tool that might give me a better understanding of myself was sort of a dragon that I think I've chased over the past four decades. Tarot, spirit animal, Myers-Briggs, Strength Finder, the 12 Steps, Rorschach, EQ tests, IQ tests, the Harvard Implicit Bias tests, all of them, which I highly recommend you look up and take ASAP. I have been there and taken them all, several of them more than once. And yet all of this self-exploration has had little application. And as I've been doing my own personal unboxing of what is me, myself, and I, as De La Soul would say, I've realized that the exploration is much more important to me, to my personal growth and happiness, than any sort of answer. And frankly, I'm not entirely convinced that any answer I might even be able to uncover would be the correct answer for very long. Each day that I experiment with shifting my perspective, that I uncover and explore and test my own ability to make progress, not perfection, my sense of self both expands as well as becomes immeasurably less important to me. I enjoy the playful experimenting and toying with wonder. The journey, not the destination. As Ursula Le Guin wrote, It is good to have an end to journey towards, but it is the journey that matters in the end. She also wrote, To learn which questions are unanswerable and not to answer them. This skill is most needful in times of stress and darkness. But since I am doing pretty dang well, both content and even happy with who I am and where I am at this very moment and on the general continuum of my own experience, today I shall endeavor to ask the unanswerable. Who the hell are we? Who am I seems to be the ultimate denominator, query for kings and scientists and teachers, philosophers, neurotics, and everyone in between. The traditional philosophical answer, found in the writings of Plato, Kant, and of course the most religious types, is that the self is an immortal soul that transcends the physical being. However, there are a ton of philosophers who simply don't subscribe to this sort of metaphysical view. And they have swung in the opposite direction, rejecting the idea of the self altogether. My husband's favorite, Sam Harris, is one of those. David Hume is another. He said that the self is nothing more than a bundle of perceptions. And Daniel Dennett, he dismissed the self as merely... A center of negative gravity. Loads of psychologists, however, have swung wildly the other way and have picked apart self with great complexity and nuance. Self-identity, self-esteem, self-regulation, self-worth, self-awareness, self-improvement. I think consumerism lends its influence as well with magazines and advertising Courses and classes and personality assessments galore. They all take full advantage of our somewhat innate desire to understand ourselves. So, is it possible to have some sort of balanced understanding of who the self is? Something that's psychologically interesting but also consistent with scientific understanding of minds and brains. First, I want to introduce you to an old friend of mine. My childhood friend, Bill Reagan, has a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology and History from Cleveland State University. He also has a Master of Science in General Psychology and a PhD in Psychology from Walden University. Now, he works as a business consultant and researcher whose specialty is the thought, feeling, and behavior of employees in the workplace. With over 10 years' experience teaching on these very subjects, I figured he'd be a good place for us to start.
1: You know that... Freud was a mentor for Jung, but Jung fractured off of Freud with the idea of the ego and that the totality of consciousness and unconsciousness made up who we are. But Freud's idea of the id, the ego, and the superego feels very simplistic to me, but also a little easier to grasp. You said you had some knowledge.
2: I do. I did a semester of studying at the Carl Jung's work, and, and you were right on. Jung was a student of Freud, and they had their, their similarities and differences. And I found kind of uh, Jung to be sort of insubordinate of Freud at times. When I, when I teach um, personality and abnormal psychology, I always do a brief block on Freud and the ego, the id, and the superego. And I break it down like this. When you step back and, like you said, look at the totality of personality according to Freud and Jung, you find that the ego, as um, Freud defined it and then Jung uh, perfected it, the ego is the part of the human um, psyche or the mind that is responsible for protecting the human from external harm. And, and I, I always like to tell students when I teach psychology that the ego has a bad reputation in contemporary language. People say, oh, they're egotistical, or "the ego got the better of them. Well, in reality, according to Freud and Jung, the ego is the thing that uh, keeps us doing the daily things we need to do. Like, for instance, working is a, is a very egotistical value. Freud would applaud his patients when they'd come to his practice, and they would say, for instance, yeah, You know, I had to come see you after work. And Freud would say, ah, you've got a very well-developed ego, which is kind of the irony of the interpretation today, the egotistical mind, for instance. In psychology, uh, I would be hesitant to say that the ego is a bad thing. In fact, I would say that it's maybe the most important of those three concepts. The superego is kind of another definition that, that Freud and Jung picked out a lot. When I teach it, I call it the firefighter mentality. The superego is the part of the mind that causes the human to race into a burning building to see if there's anybody to save. And so he warned that the superego could be dangerous. Well, then comes the id. Freud developed the id before he knew Carl Jung. If you read enough Freud and Jung, you find out that Carl Jung interpreted the id as a very secretive part of the mind that Freud never told any of his students directly about. But yet, when you read Freud's uh, patient notes, he used those three terms as a way to annotate much the way physicians use SOAP notes today, which SOAP is, the S is subjective, O is objective, A is assessment, and P is plan. It's a very well-guarded note-taking method in uh, medical practice. So. Jung said to Freud, I know what the id is. The id is your way of not saying that that is the idiot of the human. So anything that a patient did that was what Freud would completely think was idiotic, like for instance, drug abuse or uh, cheating on a spouse or committing a crime, violent or even petty, Freud would write in his notes, he would write the ego, he would say, this person is working. He would say, superego, no, no superego. Id. Person told me he stole two candy bars from the store last week. And Young was reading this one day and said, "Oh my goodness, I've deciphered Freud's work. So the id is a shorthand for idiot." And I always found that to be a little controversial. Yet I do teach that every year in in psychology to undergraduates. And they're they're all three important, but more so just to kind of again decipher it for the audience. I think that the real ego, super ego, and id, according to Freud, was nothing more than a shorthand a way for him to describe for each patient. This patient is uh, doing well or poorly in their daily activities. They're, they have some or no interest in helping others beyond uh, just the normal, and they are or are not making dangerous mistakes in their lives. And if you think about it that way, it is a pretty good summary. And in fact, uh, if it weren't for soap notes, we we might all be using Freud's shorthand.
1: One of the things I'm really interested in is, where did Jung differentiate from Freud?
2: That's a good question. What differentiated Jung from Freud really is what uh, we're known as archetypes. It's, that's a, kind of an interesting word. Uh, it relates to human personality. And in psychology, we say personality is pervasive. So it's a trait, not a state. And psychologists are trained to observe behavior. And if you think about Jung and Freud with their um, their scholastic or their academic work, um, they were very much interested in defining human behavior, uh, deciding what was normal or abnormal, and really trying to help people. I guess is the core value of psychology. So uh, Freud could have a patient, and he could, you know, deduct their uh, their ego id and superego and then he could develop a plan and and help that individual through psychotherapy and and psychiatry well uh so Jung had what was known as archetypes which is another word for motives so they're like for instance the mother the child the trickster uh the flood those are those are things that Jung would say were the overall definition of a person's personality in their life. And like I said, personality is pervasive, which means that once a person's personality has developed, they're set to be that way throughout the rest of their lives. And that's a lot like, uh, for instance, your eye color. Um, But Jung and Freud were really into this generalizing things. And Jung used uh, archetypes was his new way of describing things, and he broke from Freud right there. Freud had his his definitions of the self, and uh, Jung had his his archetypes of personality.
1: I appreciate you taking the time to share with me.
2: I think what you're doing is fantastic. I think any any efforts to help people to feel better and to be better and to live better, you know, are going to have a, a permanent effect.
1: I wish I could tell you I was doing it for such an altruistic rationale. Uh, This is really for me, this is a personal exploration because I'm trying to work a 12-step program that asks me to come to believe in a power greater than myself and then give my life and my will over to the care of God as I understand him. And there's so many connotations that I've allowed to cloud my ability to do that that I'm trying to literally unbox them with people that are in my life so that I can keep an open mind and maybe find something that suits me.
0: I really appreciate how Bill helped me set the table with his insights regarding Freud and Jung, but I wanted more. So I talked with another old friend. Cherish Asha Bolton was born in Kolkata, India, she was adopted by a white Baptist minister and raised in America. She is a historian and researches the legal and social status of vulnerable children in India. She has her MA in history and is now completing her doctorate. She's the president of Pair People for Ethical Adoption Reform. So she spends a lot of her time thinking about identity formation and the fractured self. So, I thought who better to turn to for insight into the differences between the mind and the soul. As I wrestle with and ask for your help in understanding and kind of unboxing the ideas of self, psyche, ego, who we are, basically... And you have some experience and some study in this area.
1: And so, first of all, will you tell me a little bit about your background, where you're coming at these ideas from?
3: My education is actually in history. And a lot of the work I did as an undergraduate and in my master's and my PhD were on identity formation, specifically colonial identity formation. And... Uh, Now, a lot of the work that I do has to do with adoptees and adoption um, advocacy, because I am myself an adoptee. And a lot of adoptees have different forms of mental illness. A lot of adoptees have been diagnosed with PTSD. And many of our issues seem to always come back to this idea of a fractured self. So we have, a lot of us have done a some extra reading on the ideas of the self, and so there has been a merging between the idea of identity formation and the psychological concept of the self.
0: A couple of the things that I was exploring are the textbook definition of self, that it is our sense of who we are, like our identity, our mind, and how that overlaps and intersects with the idea of spirit or soul and how Carl Jung differentiated from Freud's definition of ego and the superego and the id will you tell me a little bit about what you know from your understanding of Jung's perspective
3: of those topics I mean, from my limited understanding of the differences between yeah, where Jung differentiated from his mentor is that he found that view of these different parts of the, the id, the ego, the superego, as being somewhat limiting to fully explain how the mind works? And there, there is a reason why Jung was known to incorporate a little bit more of the metaphysical, whether you want to call it that, whether you want to call it God, whatever, to bring some of those other parts of what make humans human into the conversation, and that's where we get his larger concept of the collective unconscious. And he brought in these other ideas that created what we could probably see as more of a holistic version of the self, one that takes into account different forms of where we create who we are, and that incorporates all of these other things, these other factors, which could include God, into that larger conversation as to who we are, where our ideas come from and how we view ourselves this version of psychology is the idea that we feel disjointed which is where we get a lot of our mental illness from when we don't have that larger connection with our total selves so the whole idea behind Jungian psychology is getting in touch with that larger concept of the self and creating this more holistic view of the self so that we can stop having these issues, these fractures, these misunderstandings of ourself, which give us all this turmoil and stress.
0: Okay, so my understanding of Carl Jung's idea of the self encompasses both the consciousness of oneself as well as those parts which are unconscious in a person, and that in totality that makes up the psyche. Young used an image of a dot inside of a circle for that two-center hypothesis, that the personality has two centers and the ego is the consciousness, whereas the self is more the total persona.
3: That relates to my understanding of how he perceives it. I do want to cover the
0: idea a little bit of how you do or do not differentiate spirit and and soul from mind and psyche
1: for me i
3: don't think that the idea the concept of the soul the spirit the psyche the mind all of those things i don't actually think they're that different i think we're talking about very basic synonyms of the same thing and largely the differentiation is based on who is talking about it and why So if we're talking about the soul or the spirit, it tends to be a little bit more religion based. So if you Mm -hmm. have a religious person talking about religious things for religious purposes, they're going to use those words. But if they're talking about the very basic concept of self, while they discuss the soul, it's the same thing as if a philosopher or a psychologist talks about the mind or the psyche or as we use the psychological term, the self. And I think that's what people very generally are doing if they're not getting deep into the philosophy behind each of these terms.
0: Hmm. Okay. I feel like I'm beginning to get sort of a a grasp on the big idea of the self, but frankly, The overlap and similarities and nuanced implications of all these various words, they're still swimming around in my head. I still feel like the soul and the spirit and psyche are somehow cloaked and hiding behind my preconceived notions and connotations. And mind is really what feels safe and like solid ground. Well, that all tells me that I want to keep digging. However, for this part, instead of inviting yet another chef into our proverbial kitchen here, I'm going to turn to the single most trusted, no bullshit, straight shooting, brilliant friend I have Wikipedia. Oh, and just as a disclaimer, I straight up cut and pasted a bunch of this. So these are basically the Cliffs notes that helped me. Unbox and Untangle the Psyche from the Soul from the Mind First up, the psyche The psyche is the totality of the human mind It's both conscious and unconscious Carl Jung also included in his definition The overlap and tension between the personal and the collective elements in man personal and collective elements. Okay, I'm already curious and want to click down that little rabbit hole to make sure that what I think I know that means is actually correct. So I'm going to put those two terms on our list to unbox in upcoming shows. But now, moving on. Psychology is the scientific or objective study of the psyche. That makes sense. So the word psyche has this ridiculously long history. It was used in psychology and philosophy dating way back to ancient times. And it really represents one of the fundamental concepts for understanding human nature from a scientific point of view. However, this is where my own personal connotations and preconceptions come in and let's be real, my judgments. The English word soul is sometimes used synonymously with psyche, particularly in older English texts, which brings us to the derived meanings of psyche, which include spirit, soul, ghost, and ultimately self, in that sense of conscious personality or psyche. Now, we're going to rewind the clock. The idea of psyche was front and central to the philosophy of Plato. Scholars translate the Platonic conceptualization of psyche to the term soul in the sense that Plato believed that it was immortal. Quick tangent, in his Phaedo, Plato has Socrates give four arguments for the immortality of the soul and life after death Following the separation of the soul from the body. Plato's Socrates also states that after death, the psyche is better able to achieve wisdom and experience platonic forms since it's unhindered by the body. It's kind of a cool concept, but we're going to put that on page two of Stuff to unbox because right now I'm listening to this great course. It was a two-for-one audible deal, and it's all about the afterlife. Pretty freaking deep. And although I know I'm headed there, that particular pool of thought still feels to me. Kind of like the bog of eternal stench from labyrinth or where Atreus horse died. So I suspect I'll be drawing out Young just as long as I possibly can before we travel down that particular path. So our buddy Carl Jung was very careful to define what he meant by psyche and by soul. Here's what Jung himself wrote, but in German. I've been compelled in my investigations into the structure of the unconscious to make a conceptual distinction between soul and psyche. By psyche, I understand the totality of all psychic processes, conscious as well as unconscious. By soul, on the other hand, I understand a clearly demarcated functional complex that can best be described as personality. All right. Psyche has been used with reference to the totality of all psychic processes, so it's truly a comprehensive term. Yet soul, on the other hand, at least as used in the technical terminology of analytical psychology, is a word that's much more restricted in meaning, and it refers to a, quote, function complex or partial personality. And it never really applies to the entire psyche. Now, this conception of the soul is a lot more primitive than the Christian one, with which most of us are more familiar. In its Christian context, soul refers to the transcendental energy in man. And again, in Jung's words, the spiritual part of man considered in its moral aspect or in relation to God. I think I'm feeling a lot more comfortable with the definitions of psyche and how it intersects with soul. And I'm even a little more comfortable with soul, talking about transcendent experiences in another episode that resonated. But I really want to end in my comfort zone with the word mind. Mind is preferred by cognitive scientists to the term psyche. Cognition, mind, sure. That makes sense. The mind is a set of cognitive faculties, and it includes things like consciousness, perception, thinking, judgment, language, memory. Okay, Miss Wiki, now I'm picking up what you're laying down. Mind is usually defined as the faculty of an entity's thoughts and consciousness, and it holds the power of imagination and recognition, and appreciation. Plus, the mind is responsible for processing feelings and emotions, which result in attitudes and actions. Oh, yes, mama, I'm home. That, that right there, that's exactly what it's about for me. And actually, that brings me back to the quote that originally got me started thinking about all of this, and I will share with you in a moment. It connects perfectly to my idea that just as trauma does indeed change our core self, with work, which I call recovery, and willingness, our mind, soul, psyches, they can also help us heal. Both our attitudes and our actions. Okay, here's the quote. It's attributed to Lao Tzu. He's a mystic philosopher from ancient China. He was best known as the author of the Tao Te Ching in English, The Way and Its Power. That's the original Taoist text published in the third century, by the way. But I happen to know it from many a commencement speech. Watch your thoughts. They become your words. Watch your words. They become your actions. Watch your actions. They become your habits. Watch your habits. They become your character. Watch your character. It becomes your destiny. <laughs> I think that's a wrap, but we have so much more to explore with this as our foundation. In the upcoming episodes, we're going to discuss development of self and inheritance of trauma, Jung's idea of persona, the masks we wear to navigate through our world and our relationships, as well as our shadow selves. We'll cover archetypes, collective unconscious, and universal phenomena. We'll talk about anima and animus, which will lead us towards the interesting crossroads of gender and sexuality, where they intertwine with faith, and eventually get to the feminine divine. We're also going to be exploring my personal favorite of all of Jung's concepts, a term he coined called synchronicity, which is really just a fancy word for mystical coincidence. So, it'd be a good time to click subscribe so you don't miss anything. You know, I listen to podcasts. I watch a lot of TV and consume a lot of media in general. So, I recognize you could be spending your time doing so many other things. I just want to tell you thank you, genuinely, for hanging out with me on this journey. It's nice to know I'm not alone. And in the meantime, don't forget to check out UnboxingGodPodcast.com. That's where you're going to find the extensive show notes, which include detailed summaries of each episode, timestamps so you can get back to a certain point that you want to hear or share, quotes, and links to external resources, both things I've mentioned and things I read but didn't really make it into the show finally, if you use Apple Podcasts or know anyone who does, you wouldn't imagine how much a rating and written review means to a little show like ours. If you'd like to let me know you're hanging out with me and share any of your thoughts or reflections or feedback or criticism or questions or topic ideas that you'd like me to explore. Maybe you could be a guest on the show or a contributor in some way. Please do reach out. Let me know you're around and that you're listening just send an email to waldolovesme at gmail.com. And if you don't know what Waldo is about, go back and listen to episode two of this podcast, where I explain I call my higher power Waldo. For now, as I start to unravel ideas that will help me come, I hope, to know the God of my own understanding. Thanks for hanging out with me. I can't wait to explore more with you next week.
1: Bye.